Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. So as you said, I'm a professor of management at Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey, United States. And I've been a researcher and scholar in things like work-life balance and things like parental leave and what companies can do to help people with work-life challenges for a long time. I also teach things like human resource management and supervisory management leadership. And about 10 years ago, I got into this, what I like to call my, my mid-career crisis where I was get just very frustrated as an academic that you, know, you spend all this time doing research and collecting data and writing articles, and they have very little reach outside of academia. So I started asking myself, like, what do I really want to do here? And it's to get good information about how people can rise to their work-life challenges. So I started doing much more public-facing work, including the writing and the media and things like that. But my first thing I wanted to do was get good information to working parents. And I saw that there was a real lack of information for working fathers, which led to my first book, which is called The Working Dad Survival Guide, which is advice and encouragement for fathers trying to balance work and family. Just there was, you know, just no information there to help dads with good, actionable advice based on like actual research and things. And then after that, I turned my attention to working with employers and companies because they really need this help. So I've done some consulting and workshops and speaking there. And this work has culminated in the book here today, which is called The Whole Person Workplace. Building better workplaces through work-life, wellness, and employee support. And what I try to do in the book, and hopefully I do it well, is show that the real way to have business success is to value employees as whole people, not just as like part of the machine or like a part of the person that you get from nine to five, but as a person with lives and with a life and priorities and responsibilities and stressors and challenges outside of work. And if we expand as employers, as leaders, we expand our level of care to our employees to help them rise to their work-life challenges and help them with their other life priorities. It creates powerful workplace cultures where great things happen, where people are, feel better in their lives, do better in their lives, are more well. And it also rebounds to business success. And in the book, I interviewed about 50 different representatives from about 50 different employers, ranging from big multinationals that span the world to literally a 12-person convenience store in this little mountain town. And everything in between to show that any employer can do a lot of this on different budgets and with different types of employees, depending on your situation. So that's me and that's my current work with the, the whole person workplace, which I'm really proud of and happy to talk about today. Awesome. Hey, thanks for sharing that. I've got some questions around what you've just shared. One of them is, you know how you talked about the, the large global multinational organizations versus the 12 
convenience store. Did you notice any difference, even though there was a scale side of things? Was there any difference? Well, I'm trying to give positive examples out into the world. So I talked to companies that I knew and through reputation where I knew through my work and network that they would have a set of values around being kind of pro-employee in their approaches. So there was similarity there. Of course, there's big differences. You have these large bunch of national companies with large professionalized human resources departments. And then you have, you know, somebody who's working out of back office with teenagers walking in and out. So there's so many differences. But at heart, I think the commonality, at least for the people that I profiled in the workplaces I profiled, was, you know, having this set of whole person workplace values. And then the differences was really how it's expressed. I mean, the big companies can offer, you know, a wide range of benefits and can pour resources into these things. And, you know, a small convenience store, a small furniture manufacturer, they have different challenges. And but they can do things differently because they're small and they can really get to know their people. So it was an interesting education speaking to all these organizations, especially because I talked to most of them in the summer of last summer while they were all trying to figure out how are we going to take care of our people and our business during the pandemic. Yeah. Okay. And the people that you interviewed, were they American-based or was it across the globe? It was well overrepresented in the United States. There were a few from other places, one or two from Europe. But yeah, it was. it's pretty much lessons from, I guess, a wide range of American companies. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. And all those multinationals also have teams within other sure. countries as well that they lead. So that's all good. So you talked about just then about the, the pandemic and how a lot of people are sort of working through things. And what I found, Scott, with the leaders that I've worked with, around the globe is that they found it hard. And a lot of people are finding it hard when they're in lockdown working from home, that transition, right? They didn't have to transition from home to work and work to home. They transitioned from the bedroom to the bedroom or the bedroom to the lounge or kitchen. When you spoke to the, these people as well, what, what did they find? Was that hard for them or what did they do to get around it? Yeah, it, it was hard because this was not a planned transition, right? And this is something people were forced mm. into. Even people were very reluctant to do this were kind of forced into it. Now, some workplaces had already built in flexibility and remote work and things, and they were 10 steps ahead because they already knew how to handle these situations. But yeah, so one of the main challenges for people who are working remotely or working from home is there's that blurred line between work time and the rest of your time. And, you know, if your computer is always there and you could always be working, well, how do you discipline yourself to shut it off, shut yourself off, especially if your employer is not helping you do that? So some of the employers, I, again, I talked to the employers that get it. They were doing things like, you know, enforcing that people really shut down when they're done with the day. And some even had company-wide kind of mental health days that they just said, this Friday, everybody's off, paid day off, just clear your head, breathe, spend time with family, don't worry about work for the long weekend. So there were some that really helped with this and others that, you know, at least provided things like, you know, online wellness programs and, you know, other supports and things like that. But it was a hard time for everybody, obviously. I mean, what we had to live through or still are living through for the last 18 months is really, really hard. And managing people through this and leading people through this is an extreme challenge. It would be a shame if we went through all of this and didn't learn any lessons about how we might be able to do things better or differently in the workplace, right? It would be a real shame if we just went back to the way things were instead of realizing, hey, work could be done more flexibly, or we need to be more consistent some of the other things going on in people's minds or, or in people's lives, or we need to be more mindful about 
the wellness and mental health of our employees, which we might not have considered before, but now is very clear yeah. that it's really, really important to do. Yeah, it is. And I agree. I mean, I hope they people will remember things because it's important for us to learn from our past and what we've gone through and so forth and then build on that. What we noticed that in this part of the world, we had the first initial lockdown for seven to eight weeks hard and then we came out of it and then we had more of zero COVID cases for, for a long, long time. But what we did notice is that people, as soon as we went down the levels of lockdown, people just switched back into that normal no mode of what they were before and they forgot a lot of those things too. Yeah. But the other thing we found too though, Scott, was leaders found it hard to get people back into the office. Yes. Yeah, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that too, That because, you know, people being used to working from home, now trying to transition back in around people, it's going to be really interesting to see the whole transition happen. Absolutely. We talked about some of the downsides and the, the struggles of working from home, but the upsides are also really there for a lot of people. Hmm. Where I live in the orbit of New York City, commutes are horrible. And if you can avoid commuting two or three days a week going forward, you know, you're going to want to do that. You'll be home for family dinner. You'll be there for your kids' events. And even if it's just ad hoc flexibility, like I can come in when I need to, I can be home if I need to. You know, I think this is really important going forward. So I think that ultimately, at least in the United States, I think a hybrid workplace where there's some in office and some at home is probably where most companies are going to land. But listen, if some people thrive working from home, let them work at home more. If some people really missed the social aspects of work or do their best work in the hubbub of an office, let them come to the office most of the time. Just make sure we have enough communication and, you know, many companies figured out how to do that remotely or from a distance or, you know, all of that before. So there's real upsides and downsides to, to workplace, how the workplace changed through the pandemic. And maybe that's a silver lining in this horrible dark cloud that we've all had to live with. Yep, yep. And it'd be really interesting to see how those companies will do actually handle it, right? Some companies just do lip service and some of them is just a chick tick in the box. And yes. I really hope they do take things out from this learning, but also looking after their employees really well. Well, I started off with a degree in law. So that set the foundation for me and, and then promptly never became a lawyer. So that mm. was uh, kind of interesting. What I've done is use the law degree as a, a really solid foundation to get into employment relations, bargaining work, and to have a good understanding of law uh, has been a foundation for that. But it's also been an opportunity to engage with a wide range of organizations, and it's given me the opportunity to eventually then get into leadership development, and particularly around supporting leaders to be the best that they can be. Awesome. Very good. And, and of course, you and I are in lockdown at the moment in, in the country of New Zealand right now. So really interesting how you shared that you studied law, but you didn't actually become a lawyer. I mean, that's really, really interesting to hear. But you've taken those skill sets, that background, that foundation to help you go and do the other things around employment law and so forth. And we'll talk about employees soon as well, a little bit later on in today's episode. How did you get into leadership? I had two really significant experiences that provided the pathway. The first was that my early career work involved bargaining in both the state and the private sector, especially in the New Zealand context with what we called national awards, which were really distinct and distant from the actual workplace relationships. I later worked with New Zealand Breweries, which became Lion Nathan, a reasonably well-known organization around the world. It's been in various parts of the world along the way. And what I experienced there was 
and why I loved being there was because it gave me the opportunity to build the more direct engagement between leaders in the organization and workers in the organization, as distinct from the old national award system, which would line up a bunch of union officials on one side and a bunch of industry officials on the other side. And as I remember one industry official who was a, a bit of a rough, grumpy truck driver, a truck owning company, he just said, oh, when are we going to talk about the drivers and the trucks that they drive? That kind of really clear message that it's about the relationships on the job. It's not about all the other stuff that's very distant from the workplace. So that was a really strong indication and a really strong experience for me to bring about change in the way that people engage with each other. The second experience was that in 1992, so about 13 years into my career, I had the opportunity to attend an IAS, which is the name of the organization that ran it, an IAS a Genesis Leadership Program. And that program really consolidated for me the power of purpose, vision, and action as a direction for creating success. Now, I was always very strongly connected to my own personal purpose, but what the program really consolidated with me was that, if you like, that triumvirate that starts with purpose, goes to vision, and then leads to action. So from those experiences, I eventually founded my own consulting business, which is now continuing after it just, just about to reach its 30th anniversary. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm now in a situation where I'm the founder director, but I've got a chief executive leading the business and gives me space and time to do the stuff that I love to do. The second thing that it enabled me to do is to then go on and work with IAS and, and specifically the guy that founded IAS, a man by the name of Brian Martin, who had been a very successful international leader in Japan and China and Hong Kong and various places. So I'm working with Brian around leadership development programs, both in New Zealand and internationally. And that taught me a huge amount in terms of not only was I able to share my facilitation of leadership development, but I also engaged with a huge range of leaders, both in New Zealand and in Asia, that has taught me a huge amount about leadership. And every single program that I am engaged with, every single coaching assignment that I engage with teaches me as well as giving me the opportunity to assist and facilitate leaders to be the best that they can be. So that's how I got into leadership. And what's been fabulous is that the work that I do in employment relations and building relationships in that environment and the work that I do in leadership development just cross paths beautifully. Mm. So I use stories from each in that context to really drive success. Do you think that there is, we have issues within the businesses nowadays because of the poor or lack of strong leadership or effective leadership that may actually cause problems in there. We have yeah, some issues around employment relations. Absolutely. So I'll give you a couple of examples. I'm dealing with an organization right now because it's live right now. I won't refer to the technical but what we're doing in there is that we have an interest-based approach. So we are identifying, we've identified what are the shared issues 
that the union and the employer has, and we're working our way through those shared issues. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get an early agreement or a consensus around those issues, but it is a better way of doing it rather than a positional, I'll tell you what I want, you tell me what you want, and then we'll bash it out between us. To me, and it's interesting because whilst we're in this lockdown on Zoom, and doing so much over Zoom, we spent four hours together today, together, not sitting in separate rooms, sorting out what our next position is, but we actually spent four hours talking to each other and listening to each other. So I think that's a critical issue. Yet another example, I've got another client that is totally into positional bargaining, low trust, and always worried about what the union will do next. And the sad thing about that is that it's probable that I'm about to share with that client that that actually that's not the way I like to do business. That's not the way that I like to lead. And even after 15 years of working with them, I may just say, well, I think you need to find a different voice, someone that's got a different approach because clearly we're not connected. Yeah, and it's amazing how a lot of leaders have a fear of something or they, they don't want something to happen and then it starts to happen. Well, because you're attracting it. That's what you're thinking about. That's what you say. So be careful how you're actually thinking about things, I think, is, is, is quite a, an interesting way to look at it, right? Because you'll bring it into being. Yeah, exactly. If exactly, you show low yeah. trust, well, you'll get low trust. But there you go. Yeah. And trust is a big thing. That is huge. And I'm sure it's like that in, in the bargaining side of things, but in leadership development that we've seen. Just running your own business, our businesses, and being part of director of other companies. I think trust is a huge thing that we need to see leaders actually have and build over time. And Paul, I know what I've seen is that that trust does take time to develop. But boy, it can go out the window so quickly. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.